Welcome to SCOTUScast, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act edition. Thank you for tuning in. On February 21, 2017, the Supreme Court heard oral argument in McLean Cove v. EEOC. Damiana Ochoa worked for McLean Company, a supply chain company. After returning from maternity leave, Ochoa was required to take a physical abilities test, which she failed three times. Ochoa was fired by McLean, but then filed a charge with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, alleging that McLean violated Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. The EEOC opened up an investigation and issued a subpoena for information McLean withheld, including either pedigree information for each test taker or reasons the test taker's employment was terminated. When McLean refused, EEOC filed a subpoena enforcement action. The district court granted enforcement of the subpoena with respect to some information, such as the gender and score of each test taker, but declined to require the production of pedigree information or the reasons why others who had failed the test were terminated. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit, reviewing the district court's decision de novo, held that the district court had erred in refusing to compel production of the pedigree information and also needed to consider whether production of the reasons for other terminations would be unduly burdensome. The question before the U.S. Supreme Court is whether a district court's decision to quash or enforce an EEOC subpoena should be reviewed de novo, which only the Ninth Circuit does, or should be reviewed deferentially, which eight other courts do. To discuss the case, we have Karen Harned, who is Executive Director of the National Federation of Independent Business Small Business Legal Center. As always, the Federalist Society takes no position on particular legal or public policy issues. All expressions of opinion are those of the speaker. And now, Ms. Harned. This is one of the employment law cases on the docket this term, and it concerns the standard of review that appeals courts give to district court decisions when they're the district court rules on the scope of a uh, an EEOC subpoena. And just by way of background, this issue is increasingly important because over the last several years, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, EEOC, has given um, a huge focus of its work to what it calls the systemic um, looking for systemic discrimination. So basically, they're really trying to go for the biggest of fish, seeing if they can find um, disparate treatment of some protective class by a company on a nationwide basis. So when a charge is brought against a particular company, an EEOC charge, sometimes, um, many times, uh, a lot of uh, the employment bar would argue, <laughs> the EEOC will use the, their subpoena powers to go when they're looking into um, the validity of that charge to, you know, basically go on a fishing expedition to see if they can find and cover some other types of what they would consider illegal behavior being performed by that company. And so this case really does set up some facts that that really kind of speak to that. And in fact, um, when the case was uh when when McLean put forward their petition for review, they did ask the court um, to consider two different questions. One was the question that the court ultimately granted cert on, which is whether a district court's decision to quash or enforce an, an EEOC subpoena gets de novo review um, or it gets abuse of discretion 
type of review and, you know, more of a deferential review. And there is a circuit split, but um, it's just between the Ninth and everybody else. Um, the Ninth Circuit did say uh, and reviewed this, this case, which I'll get in the facts in a second, by de novo review. But eight other circuits have had more of an abuse. They've been more deferential, more of an abuse of discretion, more um, is there a clear, you know, violation of, of clear error in the law or in fact um, when reviewing what the D district court would have done in their different circuits. Um, McLean had also originally asked for the Ninth Circuit to, uh, or the court to, to weigh in on whether the Ninth Circuit's actions in this case, their decision in this case, upholding, um, enforcing this EEOC subpoena that, that they viewed as so broad, really exceeded EEOC's um, statutory limits of where investigative powers can go under a, an, an old Supreme Court decision of EEOC versus Shell Oil. Um, but ultimately, the Supreme Court declined to go to that second question, at least um, uh, when it took the case. So what the case concerns is McLean Company, which many of you may know, uh, they they basically distribute to chain stores all over the you know country, different things, um, different items, and um, they've got a national presence. And um, Allison Ho, actually a good Federalist Society member, was the attorney for them at the court and did a fine job today. And when they hire a new uh, employee. They give them a physical capability test. They also give this test to current employees that are returning from medical leaves of abs um, medical leaves of absence. And so, Dami Damiana Ochoa, a woman, was required to take the test before she was allowed to return to work from maternity leave. And um, over, I think it was the course of a couple months, she took, or at least a few weeks, she took and failed the test three times. So as a result, she was not permitted to return to work. And she subsequently filed an administrative dis uh, charge with the EEOC, and she alleged that the use of the test discriminated against her um, based on her sex. And so... At this point, this is where some of what I just had provided as background came in because EEOC asked McLean to provide extensive information about the test, including for everybody that took it. And, and this is and also, it should be noted, I think she was in their Arizona facility, but they asked for the subpoena to cover all of the McLean uh, facilities nationwide. And in it, they wanted uh, what is called the pedigree information, which is the subject of the underlying dispute here, which is the name, sex, date of birth, social security number, and contact information, personal information of each of the employees, their disability status, the why, um, why that person was required to take the test, what their score was, and the reason that they were terminated. And it was really this pe pedigree information, the names, gender, social security numbers, ETC, for each te test taker that McLean viewed as too broad. Uh, they uh, were willing to pro provide, you know, information on people nationwide to take that took the test, what their scores were, whether or not they were terminated as a result of those scores. But it was the pedigree information they thought was basically just opening the door unnecessarily for EEOC going beyond the scope of what the charges, underlying charges 
concerned. And once the charge, the initial charge by Ms. Ochoa was made, EOC quickly expanded its the scope of its investigation to include requests for um, information that would help it decide if it also wanted to go after an age discrimination claim um, uh, violation for disparate treatment of uh, workers over the age of 40, even though Ms. Ochoa was not over 40 when she took and failed the test. So that right there, I think, was an indication to the district court that something's going on here beyond just trying to uh, figure out if Ms. Ochoa was discriminated against based on her sex when being uh, given this test. And so, as I mentioned, McLean did go ahead and provide um, everything but the pedigree information and challenged uh, the subpoena as too broad in the district court um, and beyond what was relevant to the charges presented. And the district court agreed with McLean and limited the subpoena as a result to, you know, test the going with the test information and who took the test nationwide and what their scores were and who was terminated as a result, but not the pedigree, not their personal information. And the Ninth Circuit decided that they would review the di district court's decision de novo. And in so doing, they determined that the subpoena as requested by EEOC originally should be enforced and that McLean should provide the pedigree information. So here we come to the Supreme Court. As I mentioned earlier, the Supreme Court took the case on the issue of what kind of review was to be afforded to district courts. Eight of the circuits say it's more deferential review to what the district courts say. Ninth Circuit's on an island and says, no, um, it should be de novo. And the other thing that was interesting is uh, somewhere along the way, EEOC ended up agreeing with McLean on the standard of review and said, we agree with McLean that it should not be de novo, that it should be, you know, if there's a clear violation or of the rule of the law or facts, that sort of thing, but abuse of discretion review standard. Um, but we think that the result's the same, that the EEOC subpoena would still be enforced and the Ninth Circuit got to the right result, even though they use a de novo standard, because under relevancy, they said they said that the pedigree information was relevant to their investigation. And so in the end, both the petitioner and the respondent are arguing that the Ninth Circuit does not have de novo review, that it's best um, for district courts to have um, – more of a deferential review, but they disagree on uh, what that ultimately means. McLean saying that that means the district court got it right and the subpoena should be limited, and the government saying the district court got it wrong um, and the Ninth Circuit was right to 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 determine that. They just did it under the wrong uh, type of standard of review, but even under you know, abuse of discretion, they would have gotten to the right place. So as a result, they, the Supreme Court had to get an appointed attorney, and I'm sorry I'm missing his first name, but uh, his last name is Kennard, and he did a very nice job arguing for de novo review, ultimately, on behalf of the court. Though, now that I'm getting into the, the oral argument and how that went, there didn't seem to be much 
discussion about how deferential the review needed to be. I mean, de novo versus deferential. It was more um, getting into the discussion was actually more into, you know, the relevance of the subpoena requests and that uh, that were that were asked of the EEOC and the pedigree information. Um, there was more discussion about that than um, the standard of review. There was a little at the, initially when Allison was up there, there was discussion of, you know, is the district court the best to determine this? And I thought she answered that ably, but then they really quickly launched into the relevancy argument and whether or not um, the pedigree information was relevant and what the standard is on on determining that. And that really was, I think, Breyer was um, the most interesting when we were talking about relevancy because he did seem to understand that um, what the EEOC was asking for you know, was giving them much broader authority. And Allison Ho did a nice job of reminding him of the Shell Oil standard and that it has to be, you know, relevant to the charge. But it, it looked like he was wanting a clear definition of, of what's in between the two. And, you know, what's the in-between, you know, unbounded authority of EEOC getting to say, well, everything's relevant because, you know, once you start going down one trail of, um, well, um, everybody has to take a test. Well, well, what does that mean for disabled people, even though um, the facts in this case concerned um, a woman that was under the age of 40 and it was a gender discrimination case? So he did seem to understand and appreciate that and really, I thought, was positive in that regard. But ultimately, um, you know, uh, when Mr. Kennard got up there and there really wasn't um, a lot of questioning of him, I just felt like the the justices it's it's going to be much easier for them just to t- to stick with the question presented, stick with whether or not de novo review is appropriate or if it needs to be a more deferential standard and really the only one arguing for aggressively I think on the standard piece was Ginsburg who seemed to question whether the district court really had that much of a bird's eye view more than um, or a boots on the ground view more than an appeals court when it comes to these questions. You know, uh, McLean's uh, counsel, Allison, you know, said that um, the district courts are are seeing the facts up close. The appeals courts are not. But then um, Justice Ginsburg seemed to push back on that a little bit. In this particular case, Allison was able to say that the facts were very apparent because, as I had mentioned, McLean was also being investigated by EEOC as a result of this charge for potential disability claim violations and age violations. And so the district court had seen all of that color, but Allison made the point that it doesn't matter whether or not that's the case in every case that the district court gets. The district court is still going to... going to be looking at the case and seeing the facts and the context more than of the case more than an appeals court ever would and it just didn't seem like she got much pushback if any beyond Ginsburg on that point and then when you have the government coming in right behind her saying we agree and by the way if you like the ninth circuit's decision here that EEOC basically gets to troll for any information that it wants um, we can still get there on this deferential standard. So I might 
be wrong, but I just I find it a really tough row for the court appointed counsel, Mr. Kennard. Through his creative arguments, he used Administrative Procedures Act, saying that that, that did not allow for um, a deferential standard. And I thought that was a, a good that was really his, one of his best arguments. But I just didn't I didn't get the sense that there were a lot of takers on that on on the panel of justices. And when it comes to the issue that a lot of us ultimately want to get cabined, you know, the the subpoena power of the EEOC, I'm just not sure the justices are going to do it. It's just going to depend. You know, Breyer did seem open to it. Um, Kennedy is not always wonderful on employment law issues. And, I, and given the fact that it's a 4-4 split, I just, unless there's a clear you know, majority there, it's going to be so much easier for them just to have a nice, you know, at a minimum seven to one, if not eight to zero decision on um, standard review, ultimately on this case. Thank you for listening to this episode of SCOTUScast. For more episodes of SCOTUScast, as well as audio and video of past Federalist Society events, please visit our website at www.fedsoc.org slash multimedia.